At the start of Ephesians, he started with what Christ has done, and it's only because of what Christ has done that we can do anything. He doesn't start with the doing, he starts with what Christ has accomplished. And then he goes on to say that we are to walk in a different way. Because of what Christ has done, because of how Christ has changed us and died for us and made us alive in Him, we are to walk differently. Not like a gangster, or not physically our walk, but our life. The way our life is lived out. At the start of chapter 4 he says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So this is how he wants us to be thinking about. Because of all that we've done, we can't leave chapters 1, 2 and 3 behind. We need to keep coming back there, meditating on it, thinking through it, understanding it more and more, so that we can walk in a manner worthy of those chapters. And walking in a manner worthy of the mystery of the Gospel, the mystery of Christ, is walking like Christ. He goes on in chapter 4, we must not walk like the Gentiles do, that is the world. Let's not be like the world, we're taken from the world so we look different to the world, we're no longer walking like the world. Our, prior our priorities are different, our ultimate destination is different. The world's destination is success and power and status and wealth and possessions. Their kingdom is here. We have a different destination. Our kingdom is in heaven. We are called to store up treasures in heaven. The start of chapter 5, we heard last week Ross preach that we are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That is a weighty passage, a weighty verse. We are to walk in love, the same love that Christ had for us. In Christ gave himself for us, therefore we should give ourselves for one another. And now, he says we should walk as children of the light. We should walk as children of the light, and we will explore what that means. But what we should think through is, why does Paul just keep repeating himself? Why do we need to keep coming back here every Sunday and hear the same message preached to us every single week? And it's because we are forgetful. Because I can guarantee that by about 1 o'clock, maybe, maybe a bit earlier, depending on the time that I sit down on that couch and start to forget the truths of the Gospel. The flesh reminds me of the lies, tells me I'm unworthy, and all these things start to flow into our mind, and we need more and more truth to counter So I need to hear it, not only every Sunday, but every day, and then every moment after that, and you need to hear it as well. So saying, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, and stopping there, isn't enough for me and you. It's not enough for us to just hear this once. We must meditate on it and saturate our mind and soul with this word. I need to hear it in different ways. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling. To walk like Christ. To walk in love. To walk as children of the light. I need this to speak truth to the lies that we hear so often. 
And it's not good enough to write books on five steps for walking like Jesus. Or ten steps for having disciplines like Jesus. They're not helpful. They may be helpful at times. But the result of those books is if we just do those five steps or just do those ten steps, we will eventually be there. We will have accomplished something. We've hit the end row. I just need to put these disciplines in place and that's it. I've accomplished it. But Satan's more craftier than that. And your lies in your head are craftier than that as well. And they change over time. And Satan changes the lies to suit where we are up to in that life. In that stage of life. So we need to keep hearing the same message over and over again. So that we will enter into glory with excitement and joy. That we will be anticipated, waiting for, longing for. And I want to be people who are annoyed that Jesus returned or frustrated that our earthly body is wearing thin, that we haven't achieved all that we wanted to on this earth. No, we want to be people who say, come Lord Jesus, come. It says at the last page of the scripture that the church, the bride of Christ, is calling, come Lord Jesus, come. And we want to be those people. So ultimately, we must hear this message over and over again, so that we can say along with Paul, whether by life or by death, my aim is that Christ will be magnified in my world. Life or death, trial or suffering, prosperity or blessing, whatever comes our way, Christ will be magnified. Let's unpack this. Verse 7, Therefore do not become partners with them. Paul starts with a warning and a comparison. He warns us not to become partners with them and we need to understand who the them are. And if we go back, as we have been taught that when we see therefore we continue to go back, we see that the them are the sexual immoral, the impure, the covetous. We could go back even further and just say the them are the Gentiles. So he's repeating himself, he's reminding us again, let's not be uh, walking like the Gentiles, let's not be now partners with them in their way of life. <coughs> foolish talkers. We're not meant, meant to be partners with the foolish talkers. We are, in this world, to walk different to the world around us. Just as Jesus did. And I think Jesus is this, he's an incredible image for us that he was friends of sinners yet didn't sin. I've been watching that new series called Chosen, The Life of Jesus, it's a dramatic version of it. There's some things I like about it. But one thing I notice as Jesus in this TV series sits around with his disciples or these children and he's talking and interacting. I find it hard to grasp this, this man that is perfect and always perfect. 
And I don't think any TV show or movie can ever portray a perfect person because we don't know what it looks like. And, and we actually don't have what we don't have it written down exactly what Jesus said in casual conversation. We have his discourse, his teaching, but his casual conversations, we don't know what he said. And there's this, there's this moment when Jesus is hanging out with these children in this chosen TV show. And I'm sure he offends one of the kids. Not in a loving, gentle, gospel way, in like a sinful way. Now, of course, this is a TV show. And we can't portray a Jesus who is perfect. We don't know what that looks like. We, we, have, we have scripture to point us to Jesus. And, 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 and we have the stories of Jesus' life. But to really understand what it is like for someone to be absolutely perfect, but they never said a foolish thing. Everything that came from his mouth was life. Never a foolish comment. Never a silly joke that he regret, regretted. So he was friends of sinners. Can you just imagine Jesus hanging out with maybe the people you hang out with today? And not once did he fall into the pattern of their sin. Not once did he utter words that he wanted to take back. Not once. Jesus is our great example of what it means not to be partners with them in sin. We can hang out with sinners, and of course, the message here is not to separate ourselves completely from the world and go and live in our own community. We are called to go and proclaim the gospel to the world, so we need to be among them. But to be among them and not be partners with them in sin is, of course, a... A, a task that we can only ever do while being full of the spirits. His comparison is between darkness and light in verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Why shouldn't we be why should we partner with them, the sexually immoral, the foolish talkers, the impure, those who covet? Why should we partner with the world? Because we are no longer like this. We were darkness. We are now light. Notice, notice these two direct words here. You were darkness. Not darkness was in you or you had darkness in you. You were. That's who you were. By nature, darkness. You now are light. Jesus is being incredible, sorry, Paul is being incredibly direct in helping us grasp who we once were and who we now are. He's not saying you have light in you, he's saying you are light. This is a truth that should bring us great joy, yet also humble us, because you were darkness. Not a bit of darkness, but you were actually Darkness. Now we need to explain those terms because I can just keep saying you were dark and you, you are light and that could mean absolutely nothing to you. But what does the Bible mean when they use the words darkness and light? Well, there's two meanings for it. There's an intellectual meaning and a moral meaning behind it. So the intellectual meaning for darkness is that you, are, you live in falsehood. It's lies and deceit. It's falsehood. So it's the intellectual understanding. So you, you are blinded to anything that is true. And the moral side of that is that you are evil. 
So darkness means you live in falsehood and deceit and you do not understand truth and you are evil by nature. Light, that is the opposite, it's the intellectual of truth. The intellectual means that you understand truth and you know truth and then the opposite to evil is holiness. Light represents holiness. Holiness means to be cut off or separated or unique, different to, different or outside of anything else. So when we see that Paul says here that you were darkness, you are now light in the Lord, we see this description of humanity. That means that everyone who is outside of Christ, everyone who is outside of Christ is darkness. Not a little bit of darkness in them, but that's who they are. We've got uh, sort of picturing back at Ephesians 2 where it says you are dead in your trespasses and sins. He's using very direct, full words that cover the whole of who we, were, who we are. We were objects of wrath. So although this is encouraging to the believer, it's, it's scary to the non-believer. It's encouraging to the believer to know that this is who we were and we can put that behind us and now we live in the light. But to know for the unbeliever that they are in darkness or they are darkness, it means they are blinded to the truth. 2 Corinthians tells us that the people have been blinded to the light of the gospel. They're blinded to the truth. Therefore, we should not be partners with those who don't understand the truth. How can we agree on life? How can we do? How can we have the same? Uh, how can we have the same morals or same understanding when our ultimate direction for life is different, completely different? Darkness, living in darkness, means we have nothing in common with those who have the light. 2 Corinthians reminds us so clearly, as we said, that those who do not have the Spirit are blind to the Gospel, and we know the truth. We've seen Jesus. We understand who Jesus is. So we cannot partner with him. 2 Corinthians 6, later on in the same book, same letter, he says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? For what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with the devil? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Now we would instantly go, this is about marriage. It's not necessarily about marriage. In fact, it's around this passage, which when we want to understand the passage, we look around it, both before and after. It's not even speaking about marriage. It's speaking about pretty much all aspects of the Christian life. So yes, we can take this and say that is good for marriage, we can use that for marriage, but it's not only speaking about marriage, it's speaking about maybe our businesses, it's speaking about who we listen to as teachers. Who influences you? Are you watching heaps of TED Talks at the moment? And that is your gospel that you listen to. Are you listening to your non-Christian friends for advice? Because what partnership do you have with them? How can you be yoked with them? 
Righteousness and lawlessness have nothing in common. If you go and seek advice from an unbeliever, what are they going to give you that is helpful for you? They're seeking treasures on earth. Their aspiration, their determined goal in life is different, utterly different to yours. Do not be partnered with them. For you are now lights. That is, you know the truth. You know Jesus, the creator of the heaven and earth. You know the one who interceded for you. You know that he is the only means for salvation and that he has claimed you to be holy. Your ways, your determined, your ultimate destination is holiness. You are by right now holy in heaven, but you are striving also for holiness. How can you be partners with those who are in darkness? Or who are so then he says, walk as children of light, the end of verse 8. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Since we have changed in such a contrasting way, since our life is no longer the same whatsoever, the whole of our outworking of our life has changed. We must walk as children of light. We've been encouraged to walk in the love of Christ. We've been encouraged not to walk like the Gentiles. We've been encouraged to walk in a way worthy of our calling. Well, walking as children of light is to walk in a way that is worthy of our calling. And Paul doesn't leave us guessing as to what this might look like. He gives us, in verse 9, the fruit of the light. The fruit being actions or the way we live out or what it produces in us. It grows in us. It's a beautiful image that fruit isn't there immediately, but over time we see it grow and flourish. So the fruit of the light is found in all that is good, right, and true. These words could be used in, in other translations. They are goodness and righteousness and truth. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. So what we see about the children of light, we, we can turn to 1 John 3.19. And John speaks a lot about the light. We know that at the start of his letter in 1 John 1, he says that God is light in him, there is no darkness. If you claim to have fellowship with him, you live in darkness, you are a light. So it's very clear that we see John has the same theme as Paul. And John goes on in chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. That the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, and his deeds may be manifested as having been walked by God. What we see is that the light to men living in darkness is something that causes them to flee. So children of light, if we are children of light, living and walking as children of the light, we run to God. We desire to be near the light. We want to be with Christ. If we do not have that, we want to run from it. We don't want to be exposed. 
We hide away from the Word of God and we stay away from Christians who may expose us. The obvious example is who we gather around. Do we find it hard to be around those who take their faith seriously? Who love the Word of God and want to study it and understand it? Those who might correct you in love? We don't want to be those people. Rather, we want to be those, the children of light, who will run to the true light, Jesus, which exposed, which we see Him fulfilled in the Word, so that we can be exposed and become even brighter. See, the light to the believer is freedom, because we know there's no condemnation for our sin. There's only forgiveness in Christ. The light to those in darkness is condemnation. So they run from it for fear of being exposed. The world in its darkness doesn't know these characters of goodness, righteousness and truth. These are essential characters for those in Christ. They're essential characters for those in Christ and we will grow in them. Don't fear that you may not have the fullness of goodness in you or righteousness or truth because none of us do. But we will grow in them and there will be evidence that we are growing in them. So we come to faith and we repent and believe and the Spirit fills us and creates us new. And start, we start to see changes in our overall uh, end goal in life. We start to see an overall desire to be good to have righteousness and to live in truth. It starts to contradict our old life and we're sort of stuck in this war of going back and forth, going, why don't I like the things I used to do? Why do I struggle to lie like I used to do? Why do I now feel shame and guilt over those things? Which we later to realise is conviction. So let's look at these three words, goodness, Goodness is much like how we looked at that word love a few weeks ago. Love being a matter of the will, choosing to love and sacrifice for someone. Well, the same here, this word goodness is translated uh, many different ways in the, in the scriptures, but right here we see this willing, sacrificial uh, deeds done for others. You're deliberately making the decision to sacrifice for others' needs and benefits. So goodness is that we start to look outwardly. And we see that summed in Jesus, summed up in Jesus. Righteousness is found in Christ, in Christ alone. It's our relationship to Him, the righteous shall live by faith. We only have righteousness because of Jesus alone. So the fruit that takes place in the children of light is that we are connected to Jesus and want to be with Jesus because He is our righteousness. And truth, truth is about integrity of life, honesty, reliability, trustworthiness. We may say we're an honest person, but reliability in our day, in our culture, it's foreign. We like the maybe button on Facebook rather than the yes or the no. Truth. The, the children of light live 
in truth. They have integrity about who they are. They are deceitful in what they do. So if we look at these three characters and sort of sum them up in the way they relate, goodness relates to other people, righteousness relates to God, and truth is an inward, personal integrity. This is who I am. So the children of the light have this threefold new characteristics. Let's compare it to the children of darkness or those who or once or who we once were. They are liars, like their father, the devil, which the scriptures tell us. So they're not truth seekers or people who live in integrity. Their righteousness is in their own works. See, this may be hard for many of us because we read we were in darkness or we think about people who are in darkness and we go, they're nice people. Maybe you would even say they're good people. I won't probably use that language, but nice people. There's nice people in the world who don't follow Jesus. And we might say, they, they seem nice. How are they going to go to hell? They seem like nice people. Well, they don't have truth, so they're not children of the light. They don't believe in the truth, and Jesus is the truth. We see that in the Scriptures. Their righteousness is in themselves, so all their good deeds have selfish motives behind them. And their goodness, although they might do good things, in the end, the depth of their goodness would be about themselves and not about God. So when we look at darkness, when we look at children of the light, or children of the darkness, children of the light, we see how we have changed in these three areas. Our relationship to one another, our relationship to God, and our personal integrity, our inward relationship. And this grows over time. And then he finishes, or he continues in this verse, verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The children of the light walk in these characteristics with the idea that they are going to continue to work out how to walk in these characteristics. We, we haven't come to completion. Although we are labelled holy and righteous in heaven and that is our status forever, we are discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. How do I continue to grow in goodness? How can I learn to love and, uh, and, and deliberately choose to sacrifice for other people? How can I continue to grow in righteousness by faith alone? Not adding works to that, but by faith alone. How can I continue to live in integrity? And we discern what is pleasing to the Lord by saturating our mind in the Word of God. So that at the start of our gathering, that yes, Moses got to sit on the mountain and look at the glory of God, but we have his written word and can sit in it anytime. Anytime. And immerse our mind and saturate our heart so that we will know what it means to walk as children of the light. We want to be exposed and we want to be examined under the light of God's word. It's like an x-ray of our soul every single time we open it and allow it to x-ray our whole inward, uh, our, our whole characteristics, the goodness, the righteousness and truth, and let it expose what is really there. My good deeds, my goodness is for my own gain. Or maybe it's for your own gain. 
My righteousness, well, I've just been doing all these things to tick off boxes. It's no longer in Jesus. It's about going to church and praying and, and serving people. But you want to make sure people are around so they notice it. And truth, well, sort of live in truth. But we need the word to x-ray us every day to examine these motives behind us. Are we in, in, do we live in integrity? Is our righteousness in Christ? Are our good deeds for the glory of God and not for the glory of ourselves? I remember as a child, I was eager, so eager to be a man. I was a boy back then, right? Child, boy. And I remember my dad and my uncle, they were pretty close and they would always be doing stuff together and working and I just wanted to be like them. So I saw them go out, I was going with them. And I would run out and they would be carrying bricks and I'm carrying bricks and they got a wheelbarrow, I'm taking a wheelbarrow and I'm doing whatever they want. I slowed them down a lot. But I desperately wanted someone to show me what it looked like to be a man. Well, we are children of the life. And we should desperately want someone to show us what it looks like to live as children of the light. But to live as light. Because right here it tells us that we are light. To live as the light that Christ brought to this earth. We get to be the light to the world that Christ actually is. So it's much like the moon. It doesn't have its own light, but the sun reflects off the moon and we see the moon shining forth. We are shining Christ. Yet if we're not around Christ, how will we ever know what it looks like to be the light in this world? If you're a young boy and you want to be a man and you're never around men, it's going to be hard to know what it looks like to be a man. The same is true for us when we are studying the scriptures. If we do not study the scriptures, there's no alternative. If you don't gather with the saints, if you don't spend time in prayer asking for the Spirit, you just won't live as the light. I'm not saying you won't be a Christian. You may be a dull, dimly lit Christian, which as I've said before is a miserable place to be. But there's, there's a sad sad place in our world and in our church at the moment that many Christians are living empty empty lives this passage warns us of that it's either going to expose that our salvation is false or that we're grieving the Holy Spirit that's what this passage is doing for us your salvation is false and you're still in darkness or you're grieving the Holy Spirit When Jesus said, I've come to bring life and life to the full, he wasn't talking about worldly gain, but rather that we would have such a depth of spiritual joy that nothing can compare. Christian brother and sister, I would, I would, I long to see you fight for joy in the Lord. Oh, how we should be people with the most joy. The most joy. And it comes from a 
a longing to be children of the light. A longing to be children of the light. Verse 11, he continues just this warning to just build on what he's saying here about not being darkness, not partnering with them, take no part in fruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. No part. No longer partner, but let's not even engage in unfruitful works. Let's not even meander for a moment. Think of young Christians, and I guess I came from a youth background, so I understand, and, and you often get this same sort of scenario with young Christians and young relationships, and they're saying, oh, you know, I'm just so tempted, and I don't know how to fight for purity, and, it's, and, and you start to explore this with them, and you ask them questions like, well, are you hanging out alone? And they're like, oh, yeah, we hang out alone all the time. Well, do you actually think you're strong enough to resist? Do you think you have the strength in yourself to resist? So you're putting yourself in this situation where you could sin and you will. Like it's that simple. We, we shouldn't even meander in the possibility of taking part in unfruitful works. You're not strong enough. I'm not strong enough to resist. We shouldn't get to the point where we're like trying to test how strong we are in faith with sin. And, and, and Paul is saying, just don't even go with it. For the young Christian in relationships, surround yourself with protection, with people around you, people that can hang out with you and save the sacredness of sexual intimacy for marriage. Maybe it's not sexual sin, maybe it's another sin, drunkenness or lying or the love of money. Don't even meander near these unfruitful works of darkness. And then he goes on to say, but expose them. That's a hard word. It's one of those words where I'm sort of like, nah, I'd rather just sit in silence and not say anything. Which is nearly probably the most common position for most of us. That we'll be around unfruitful works of darkness, whether outside the church or inside the church, and it just feels easier to stay silent. We don't want to be the killjoy all the time. But we should expose them. And sometimes, just our mere presence as Christians will expose the unfruitful works of darkness as people go around lying and talking foolishly and you just sit there quietly and they feel convicted from that. I've been there. I'm sure you've been there. But other times, other times we need to stand up and speak up and act in goodness. When someone's being beat down verbally or physically, we can't just sit there. But speak up against the darkness. Or when maybe we've lessened the standard of God for the sake of fun or entertainment. We shouldn't just sit there, but stand up and expose it. And truth. 
We can't just go along with companies or friends who are going to rip and cheat on people, even the government. I was deeply convicted a number of years ago when I was running a sole trading business about tax fraud. And I think it's an area which many Christians would probably just ignore. But if we're children of life, we are truth seekers. Right? Truth seekers. We live in the truth. As children of light, there are times where our presence will convict people, but there are times when we need to step up. And the scriptures are so gracious that in Matthew 18, 15 and 2 Timothy 4, they give us principles for how we should do this. Particularly in the church. If there was an area we should start with, it's the church. We shouldn't even look outside until we've dealt with the unfruitful works of darkness in the church. And in Matthew 18, it says, Go to your brother if they sin against you one to one. If they do not listen, go with two. They still don't listen, bring them before the church. And if they don't listen, then send them away and treat them as an unbeliever. The whole purpose of that is repentance. We don't want to send people away. It doesn't give us joy seeing people leave, but we want them to come back to faithfulness. We want them to live in the right way. 2 Timothy 4 says, rebuke, correct, and encourage. But how do we expose unfruitful works? Only by the Word of God. You know, Christians speak a whole lot. I speak a whole lot. I speak too much. And we should just use the Word of God far more often. When we're correcting and rebuking, it's useful for reproof and correction and teaching of all kinds of things it says in Timothy. If you're rebuking and correcting and you seem to do that a lot more without the Bible open, maybe you have a pride issue. Have the scriptures with us. That is the word of life. That is what will sanctify you and me and anyone that is living in unfruitful works of darkness. So we should expose it. And verse 12 and 13 and 14 tell us For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. That anything that becomes visible is light. When the word comes upon sin and the unfruitful deeds of darkness, it brings them into light and it brings freedom from them. But we should focus just quickly on verse 12 and think there are times when we shouldn't repeat what has happened. There are times when there's just evilness that we shouldn't be entertained by sharing with one another. It should grieve us to the core and it should be something where we say, hey, something happened, it was evil, we need, we need, to, we need to expose it, but we're not going to talk about it. Because it is unholy to talk about. It is unfruitful to talk about. We should leave it where it is and move on with the light that it exposes. It's like Paul is clarifying our pride, or he's helping us not let our pride get into rebuke, where we like rebuke someone and then we go, oh, to, that, to our next mate, oh, did you hear what this person did? Oh, let me tell you. And you start expanding in detail on the sin when it took place. Paul's just making sure that we don't do that by saying, don't even speak of that. It's evil. It's darkness. But expose it. Because when we expose it, it makes the unbeliever aware that there's coming condemnation for them. 
And it makes the believer aware that they're not walking in a manner worthy of their calling. We use the word to expose it. Rebuke, correct and encourage with great patience. As 2 Timothy 4 says. And the cross of Christ will shine upon the unbeliever, the, the believer, and give them grace. I said it before, but when we expose each other's sin, it's not to bring us to a place of pain, but to bring us to a place of joy and celebrating the gospel. When you're corrected from sin, see it as an opportunity to remember the gospel and rejoice in the work of Christ. Not try and find sin in the person that rebuked you, because that is unhelpful. When we're corrected, we shouldn't be moping or whinging, but rather celebrating that Christ has saved us. This passage finishes, or this section finishes, with a line from Isaiah 60. It says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. They believe this was from an early hymn, probably sung at baptisms. As a call to the non-believer to come and, and awake from their dead, from their sin. But the other view, and considering this is written to the church, Paul seems to be using it differently right here. Paul is using it to speak to the apathetic, lazy believer, who is now stuck in patterns of darkness. And he's warning them and saying to them, Hey, wake up! Rise from your deadly routines of unhelpful sin, because Christ will shine on you. And it takes us back to verse 8, where it says that we were darkness, but we are now light in the Lord. Our light is not our own, our light is from Jesus. Christ shines on us. So every day we must awake from our apathy, awake from our unfaithfulness, awake from our laziness, and Christ shines on us. You don't have the strength, you don't have the power, and you don't have what's necessary, but Christ is shining on us, and His Spirit dwells within us. You are light. You are light. Your light is new. You have been uh, you, you, you have been crucified with Christ. And it's like this moment of, of remember your baptism. Paul saying, remember your baptism. Remember the significance. You went under the water. You died. You, you were buried. And you rose to life when you came up from that water. Christ has shone on you. So can I encourage you, church, wherever you are at, the words, awake or sleeper, are probably always relevant. I know my own soul, I know my own mind and my own heart, and I know what the scriptures say about the human heart, and every day, and every time of, of apathy or unfaithfulness, Let's hear the words, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Love that. He will shine on you. What a truth to take hold. Let's pray.
Father God, I give you great thanks for the light of Christ that has shone in this world. He is the light of the world. He is the only truth. Goodness, righteousness, and truth are His. And Lord, because you have taken us from the darkness of our soul to be brought into the marvellous light of your Son, Jesus, we have the fruit of goodness, righteousness, and truth in us. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would well up in our soul and that we would awake from the dead and Christ would shine on us. Awake from the dead of habitual sin, of unfaithfulness, of laziness, or apathy, and long to be imitators of Christ by soaking up his word and dwelling with him. Lord, would you give us, I pray, Lord, would you give us at your church a new freshness of what your scriptures are. Lord, we have so many copies printed for us, but Lord, I pray that we would we would hold on to the scriptures as if it was our last copy. That it could be taken from us at any moment. Lord, that our relationship with your word would be one as if it was going tomorrow. And absorbing it as much as we can. So that we may walk in the fruit of the life, goodness, righteousness, and truth. We give you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.